0: the subtlety I guess is, is a key element of psychological horror that I really like because a yeah. lot of it is left up to the interpretation I know, of the viewer and they're always going to think of the scariest possible thing to them. Yeah. Right? Well, so. especially
1: if it's like when, when he uses a real life inspiration, like a man in a straight jacket, sure. it's like, I've seen people in straight jackets mm-hmm. before. So I'm projecting my memory of what I've seen onto this person, you well, know, and I'm supposed to kill the person. It's like, <laughs> geez, man, It's almost not fair. Yeah. What's up? Welcome back
0: to the State of the Ark podcast. My name is Mike. My name is Kason. This is our first episode of our Silent Hill 2 analysis.
1: And no, we did not do we a were. Silent Hill 1 analysis. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> Don't um, look for it. There's, there's a couple
0: it. things we should probably say leading yeah. off, right? First of all, if, if this is your first time watching our podcast, you haven't seen it before, uh, a little bit of an explanation of what we do here, so... Um, this is primarily a storytelling analysis podcast Uh, we we stick pretty much to video game storylines the ones that we feel um, you know there's it was this was something I was just thinking about the other day do you remember hearing a lot like in, in, in games journalism or just people talking about games you know Games are getting there or like they're yes. they, they they have the potential to tell yeah, yeah you know stories that maybe rival classic literature or, or great film, but
1: like uh, you know they're 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 making steps towards it in some ways it's like recent games are kind of making steps away from it <laughs> and that some of the <laughs> older games actually uh, approached it in a more um in a better way but yes yeah. yes I'm aware
0: well so I guess this podcast is, in a way, sort of like a rebuke of that entire idea. Yeah. It, it's not even just that; it already is. It's it, it. It's already been there, and it's been there for a long time. Yeah. And so that the is. games that we talk about are the ones that that we feel um, have very deep thematic content, and our our job, I guess, is to try to break that down and help people appreciate even more um, these classic games that really moved people, um, that that really made you think, that made you um, reassess the things that you believed. Um, These games are works of art in in exactly the same way that uh, great works of literature or film are. So Mm. um, we primarily talk about the story. Uh, We will, from time to time, talk about gameplay, but that's not really the focus of the podcast. So we do this in in a sort of book club-like format where we will have a certain chunk or or section of the game where we play up to and uh the audience plays along with us and then we'll discuss that section in the following week and we'll kind of do that week by week i am thinking that this game will be much shorter than is typical of what we play so maybe just a few three episodes four episodes at tops i would
1: say um we'll see i'm loving what I've found so far.
0: <laughs> this first episode is going to be focused on development history. Development this is another history, thing yeah. that we do on our podcast is before we try to analyze or break down, you know, what this game is about, mm. it's good, I think, to understand where the developers were, what they were thinking, what they were attempting to do. And yeah. uh, it sets the kn-
1: stage. It's like the context for right. the story.
0: Right. So we're going to talk about that today. Yeah. Um, in addition to that, uh, this is the first time Kaysen will be playing Silent Hill 2, right? I
1: have never played this game before. That doesn't mean I have never heard anything about the game before that. Yeah, though. right. I, I've I, I but here's the thing though I, I've gotten Silent Hill confused with a lot of games. I actually was talking to my brother Parker on uh. the phone yesterday, and I was like, "Dude, I play I'm playing Silent Hill 2 now." And he goes, "Oh, that's great! I never played that game." And I could, I swear he showed me that game oh. in the past, and he's telling me he's <laughs> never played it. So I'm like, "Okay, now I'm, what game did he show me?" So, anyways, a lot of the Resident Evil, like maybe even Alan Wake and uh, sure. Silent Hill games. They they I don't I don't separate them well, but I know enough to know that. <laughs> There's they they screw with your mind. Yeah, right. And and that's enough to kind of be like, Okay, well, you know, let's see where we're going with this now. Instead of me being like, Oh, oh my gosh, you know, like with M. Night Shyamalan stuff in the nineties. It's like, Oh, I'm looking for it. I'm I'm looking for the differences and for the weird hints that tell me what's really going on.
0: Yeah. So that's kind of another thing that is typical of our podcast where one or the other of us has not played it before and yeah. and we hope that some of the audience joining has not played the game before yes, that yeah. this is their first time um, and so for that reason we try to avoid major spoilers in the analysis in the early, early parts we, we will circle around to this was set up earlier and this right. is what it was hinting at and uh, here's the payoff for that and everything like that but we hold off on talking about spoilers until they are revealed in the playthrough yeah. Um, in order for people to experience those things for the first time um, that's a big part of, of, I think the enjoyment of this podcast is not only, um, people getting to watch somebody's first time, which is yeah. a really fun thing to do, yeah. but also it may be you watching your first time playing it. We don't want to ruin anything for you as you're playing. So that's, I think, uh, the best way to kind of set up uh, what the podcast is about. So that's kind of what to expect from it. Um, like I said, today we're going to be jumping into development history. Um, I want to say before doing that, that, uh, I'm, I'm not like the biggest horror person in a general sense, like yeah. horror films. Oh, yeah. Um, I, but I, I really get into psychological horror. So the horror that's not, um, sort of founded on leading you into as many jump scares as possible. (laughs) So not not
1: paranormal activity.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like the paranormal stuff, it it can be fun. It can. Um, Yes. The, the, the sort of slasher flicks, they can be (laughs) fun to watch. It's not like I, I have no interest in, in it whatsoever. It's just that it doesn't grab me in quite the same way that, that a cycle, a really well-made psychological horror does where, um, we're we're learning something about the way people think. We're learning something yeah. about um, ourselves in the story, right? Like that really hooks cool. me. That's very fascinating, and uh, you know some of the best works within that sort of sub genre are some of my favorites uh, of any. So um, this this series in particular, and in particular this game, Silent Hill 2, more so than, say, Silent Hill 1, but uh, is uh, basically the defining sort of entry. It's like when you think psychological horror in games, you
1: think Silent Hill 2. And that's in part why we're starting with 2 and not 1, right? Right.
0: Right. Exactly. And we'll talk a little bit about uh, some of the reasons why... They they went the direction that they did story wise with two. It had a lot to do with the fact that they had a foundation after making the first game oh, in yeah. terms of setting, in terms of tone, in terms of monster you know creation. What they wanted to do with that part of it that now they had the uh, bandwidth to sort of focus more on storytelling, and that they made that a really big focus. Uh, on top of that, the director of the first game uh, left this team, oh, really? so they had kind of a, a, a different set of people kind of coming into key roles oh, interesting. For, this, okay. for this entry, so hmm. um, anyway, uh, I'm really excited to talk about it, is, is where I'm getting at <laughs> I, I, I think this game's really special it, it's a classic for a reason, and there's a lot to break down, so um, so let's do that uh, the first note, my notes are a mess and I, I have to apologize about this uh, ahead of time a little bit um, I did not have time to Because when I'm taking notes and I'm I'm reading interviews and things like that, I'm I'm putting them in order of when I find them, not necessarily Uh, in the order of what makes sense to talk about. So we might be jumping around a bit. That's (laughs) fine. But usually the day before, I'll come into the notes and then reorganize them into a thread that makes sense in terms of talking Mm. point. And I did not have time to do that (laughs) this time. So my notes are literally just completely scatterbrained. And hopefully uh, that'll be okay. Hopefully I'll be able to navigate that. (laughs) But- the, the first quote uh, that I have here is from, uh, I want to get his first name in here as well. I, I'm just going to refer to him mostly as uh, Sato uh, throughout um, this.
1: Takayoshi.
0: Takayoshi Sato, yeah. yeah Takayoshi he he was not the director of the game, which is interesting, but he seems to be yeah. more or less the, the crux upon which the game's decisions narratively yeah. rested on. He, he, there was another writer they had on too, but he seemed to that be the one to conceive. Owaku. Yeah, yeah. Owaku. Hiroyuki Owaku. Mm-hmm. He, he, Sato, I mean, uh, he conceived this storyline. Yeah. Um, he was a CGI and like art director. So he yeah. came up with a lot of the visual style of the game. And that's um, cool.
1: So, the visuals are in this game are great, by the way. They like the camera work and a lot of stuff. It's really beautiful. Um, but yeah, he was the CG and character artist, but he also started to just kind of write the game. And he was right. like a general writer. Um, and he based it on crime and punishment. Yes. That was like.
0: I thought you would. Oh,
1: yes. I didn't know that. <laughs> that. As soon as I heard that, I was like, oh, this game's going to be deep. Yep. This game's going to be good. Yep. it's all about well, crime and punishment. We did a book review on that once. We uh, did. A very long I time ago. I was about to bring
0: that up. Uh, it's actually on YouTube. If you go to our on. archive channel, the Resonant oh, cool. Archive, it's still up. There's a whole uh, playlist of our sort of uh, breakdown and analysis of crime and punishment. So um, some of that's going to be reemerging, I think, in, yeah. in what we talk about here. But I, I thought in particular, you'd be really excited <laughs> about the Dostoevsky Very stuff. excited. Um, but here's a quote from, from Sato here. He says, most people working for game companies are game freaks. Mm. But the Silent Hill team are artists and programmers first, and mainly artists. Mm. Silent Hill 2 is not a typical game, because most of our staff didn't grow up playing games. Because of this, we hope to provide the gamer with a different sort of game. I feel like uh, that kind of plays into some of the thematic ambitions Uh of Silent Hill 2 in particular and I mean I don't know how you've felt about the early portions of what you've played but uh, yeah. it, it's not necessarily like the smoothest <laughs>
1: no the <laughs> experience. camera the camera cuts <laughs> and and the direction and the the controls are a little a little bit awkward um, and the fog, like you're, you're the distance, the, yeah, what do they the call draw it? Distance. The draw distance is yeah. so short yeah. and I know there's story reasons for that. I, I can tell that as much just having played only, I don't know, 40, 50 minutes of the game so far. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, you can tell they focused a lot more on the art than the gameplay. Yeah. Right. But which is fine. The art is, is great and the framing and the camera work, it's all beautiful but it's difficult to play sometimes.
0: Yeah, it's not necessarily like the easiest game yeah. to revisit in the modern day to play. But I <laughs> hope that, uh, having said that, people will still kind of you know stick with it and give it a chance. Well, there was um, a
1: remake uh, recently, right?
0: Yes, there's a remaster of it um, is that it, came out. I haven't played that. I haven't played okay. that version. But that is the version that I am actually going to switch over and play, rather than the original PS2. Okay. Oh, cool. um, so I started to play the like the original ps2 version i was like you know that that remaster came out pretty recently maybe i'll give that a shot and it's important Mm -hmm. to mention there's a full remake of the game that's in development now that they've announced like a complete redo. yeah Yeah. right like a from the ground up remake um kind of in the vein of what they've done with those resident evil remakes recently yeah yeah um so, like that—that's something I'm looking forward to, to trying out as well. But uh, we'll see how gameplay and, and particularly like controlling the character is addressed in, in remakes, mm-hmm. and and maybe someone will want to hold off until that comes out before they, they play. But I, I think mm-hmm. the original is worth revisiting, despite yeah, uh, that's its what clunkiness. that's what I've been playing. Yeah, it's clunkiness at times. So, um, <clears throat> so oh, another thing I, I guess to, to say, you do not have to play the first game in order to understand what's going on here. That's this, good. This is not one of those things where it's like, oh, if you've missed playing Silent Hill 1, you'll have no idea what's going on in Silent Hill 2. <laughs> um, they're, they're different characters. Um, I believe it's it was Sato in, in or no, it wasn't Sato, it was the producer, um, uh, Imamura, I think, who oh, okay. um, was talking about in, in uh, some interviews leading up to the game's release, like because people were asking about whatever connection it may have to the first game, and he even said that this is this is not only a different character, it's a different part of Silent Hill, like a different sector of the town in which mm-hmm. this game takes place in. So the point of that is to say that there may be some tie-ins or, or right. callbacks. it's the same world. In terms of theme yeah. or world, but like the storyline, you do not have to play the first game in, onor- in order to understand this one. But what was typical of the stories up to this point anyway was that someone was being drawn to Silent Hill in search of someone important to them. Yeah. So, in Silent Hill 1, our main character is searching for his missing daughter in Silent Mm. Hill. In this game, uh, our our main character uh, is looking for his dead wife who wrote a note to him saying, meet me at our Meet special me, place in Silent Hill yes, and yeah. he's, this is his wife who's been dead for three years and he's like how is this possible Yeah, yeah, right so it, it's kind of a mystery there as to how she could still be alive or write a note to him or is she really there and so kind of a similar setup you're exploring this town but looking for someone who's important to you it was more or less the setup for both games um, but aside from that you do not need to have played Silent Hill 1 so um got a quote here uh the stories aren't really linked silent hill 2 is the story of another man that takes place in the town called silent hill basically the setting itself that is the town of silent hill is the same but it's a different area of the town and they even have a note in the in the interview in memora son takes out a uh, some paper and draws a rough sketch of silent oh, nice. hill marking good. out two different regions within the town as the settings for silent hill 1 and 2 hmm. so they even had, like, blocked out which parts of the town each game takes place in. Um, so he says, so it's the same setting, but a, a different part of the town. It'll have that familiar but different feel to it. To further this, the structure of the game, the way you play it, and the system is the same as the first. So um, cool. Silent Hill 2 began its development in 1999.
1: Which is funny, because that's when Silent Hill was released. Yeah, the first
0: game. So as soon as the right first game came it. out
1: on the PS1 they were like, we're doing it again, right? Yep. And they called the dev team Team Silent. Yep, Team Silent. <laughs> which is great.
0: That's what they did in those days, uh, particularly in Konami. Um, yeah. They kind of had code names for their teams, right, uh, that That's were based fun. on the the series that that team worked on. Yeah. Um, so right after that first game came out, uh, they started immediately working on the second one. Um, like you said, developed by Team Silent, yeah. uh, which is a production company in, inside of Konami. Konami. So this was back when Konami was still great. <laughs> Konami's not so great anymore. Um, they kind of abandoned many of these great franchises or have done them really dirty in recent times. Mm. Uh, I guess we'll wait to see how Silent Hill 2 remake uh, shapes up. Oh, yeah, up. we'll see. But, um, but Konami used to be great, right? Like, everyone loved Konami back in oh, the day. Yeah. This is when they're at the height of their power. Um, so, yeah, like we said, Takayoshi Sato was the one who conceived the story based it on Crime and Punishment. Though there were several other members of the team who contributed collaboratively to the story, Um, it wasn't just him or or even one of the writers. Mm -hmm. Like several people sort of came together, and there were a lot of influences, a lot of really interesting influences. um,
1: What I think is interesting is that um, uh, Sato Takayoshi, he he was the CG artist for like character. He was a character artist, right? And then he also wrote the game. But he was writing the game as he was designing the characters, right? And uh, you feel like this would be a very character-centric game because like, it's going to focus a lot on the people and because he designed the people in, in conjunction with writing the story, right? So right. I'm looking for – I love it when this happens because I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of the um, – the character design and set design and and clothing and the way characters yeah, act. I, right. I, I look forward to that contributing to the story, even in a symbolic way, because you know it was all planned ahead of time. It wasn't just like, oh, we need a character design, who cares what, do oh, have her wear a blue shirt, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> and it's like, no, this is gonna be all, it's gonna be very purposeful. deliberate, very
0: purposeful. That's a good point, and for those yeah, of you who have I've already it,
1: seen it at the beginning of the game. Here.
0: Yeah, for those of you who haven't seen our Final Fantasy X analysis, this was a major part of what and contributed to that, was yeah. looking at the clothing in particular in and seeing how those designs were purposefully and intentionally yeah. um sort of tied into that character's arc or or uh what it was that they represented right. in the story or
1: maybe their fears or their history or yeah you know, things exactly. like that yeah
0: so uh I love yeah that. i i always have to remind myself to look closer at clothing <laughs> for some reason like clothing my eyes just don't go there they go to the character's <laughs> faces
1: <laughs> but, oh which is you know
0: yeah but not um bad. But, yeah, I am I got to remind myself to try and do that more. <laughs> um, okay, so the decision to make a sequel to Silent Hill, particularly as quickly as they did, was, yeah. of, of course, partially a, a financial one. It, it was successful.
1: Right. Silent Hill did well. Yeah. But, but they all felt like they could have done better. Yes. They were very frustrated with the PS1 because there were so many limitations. And it was 99, right? It was like at the end towards the end of the PS one, right before the next gen was about to launch. And people were just, they were ready for the next thing to come out. Right. And I'm pretty sure it was in 99 when the PS two, when Sony um, was letting people know about like, Hey, we've got this new thing coming, right. It's, it's on its way. And then, yeah. Um, so the artists were eager to like, Hey, let's do the same thing again, except without all these limitations. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's where Silent Hill
0: two came from. So there's some, some great quotes about this, how, while that financial element as far as a motivation was certainly there there there's a a, a huge creative motivation it was like we can really do more with this than we did with the first game Um, they kind of ran into some uh, time constraints really that that made it so that they couldn't do everything that they had hoped in the first game so that was a big uh, driving factor behind the second so Imamura says well games really are a business so in that sense it did make sense Uh, However, there were also creative issues. We made the original fairly late in the PlayStation's life, as you were saying. There were issues we were frustrated with in terms of being able to realize the creative potential of Silent Hill. So honestly speaking, the team were looking forward to making a Silent Hill game without compromises. It wasn't just a business decision. Um, And they had a pretty small window with which they had to choose a platform, though. Yeah, that Um, was
1: the thing and it was almost like it was either like the Dreamcast or the PS2 well yeah
0: because that's all was out yeah they didn't have uh, dev kits or really much information yet they didn't know enough on the Xbox or the GameCube or the GameCube and so I was like well PS2. It's going to be PS2. We already have this yeah. great um, relationship with Sony. Right. Um, the PlayStation was a very strong brand in terms of uh, market share <laughs> um, right. over, like, the Nintendo 64. Yep. So it, it just made a lot of sense to kind of stick with that. Yeah. So um, so that's what they did. But they did almost almost right away, as soon as they learned more about the Xbox, an Xbox version of the game was quickly worked Oh, on yeah. They ported And it released. So yeah. they did have a port
1: to Xbox. And I, I've heard there are differences in the in the different yeah. versions of the game, I have not I, played the Xbox. I version. wouldn't know, but yeah, some there are subtle. Just be aware, I guess there are subtle differences between the Xbox and the GameCube, or not GameCube, or the, the, play, the PC and then the PS2. Yeah,
0: yeah right. So, um, since the setting and atmosphere, right, were kind of already established by the first game, uh, this this time around they they really developed and worked on plot first, mm. versus say environments or mechanics or systems first, which is generally the way game developers do things. Usually you build your systems and you build your game, and then you write a story that sort of supplements that game, right? Yeah, well,
1: that's like, um, oh, who's the director of uh, Xenoblade and Xenosaga? Oh, Tetsuya Takahashi. Tetsuya Takahashi talks about maps, right? His whole thing is like maps, like make the maps, you know, everything needs to work with the map. That's clearly his his yeah. idea first. He, he,
0: he loves... Well, that's kind the of the philosophy he's developed for the, yeah. the Blade games. The, the Blade, Blade games, games in yeah. particular. Um, so, anyway, because that was all done, they decided to really focus on storytelling. And that's that's why the storytelling in this is really is amazing as amazing like as it is. It's really good, yeah. So in multiple a, ways, it's so good. Yeah, so we got a quote here from Sato. He says, uh, Making Silent Hill, we just thought about making something horrific first and then worked on the plot. Generally... Um, with the first game game, (laughs) generally uh, we'd make the scary environments first and then make a story to fit those environments so when making Silent Hill 2 we already knew roughly what the environment was going to look like so we could build the entire story before designing the game Mm -hmm. we think that this makes the town of Silent Hill a more realistic place overall Hmm. Um, he's asked a question here by the uh, interviewer at IGN what is the origin of the creatures and monsters in Silent Hill 2? In other words, what uh, part of your everyday existence have you uh, used to create these creatures? And Sato says, although I did not design the monsters, because uh, they have another guy, Ito Masa- Masahiro, who, uh, designed, Masahiro Ito, who yeah, yeah. Yeah, designed the, the monsters. Yeah. The team's consensus on the monsters look... Uh, was that of soured flesh.
1: Soured flesh. Like, what's up with that, man? Yeah, I, I thought that that <laughs> was like world? a really
0: interesting term. Yes. Um, and this kind of plays into uh, like the overall theme of what they wanted the visuals to do. Yeah. Um, I, I have more quotes that we'll get to in a minute, but they really wanted this to be something that revolted people, but attracted mm. them At the same time. You
1: know what's so weird though? There is a connection between those two. Sure. Like people talk about a a car wreck or a train wreck where you can't look away. Yes. Like every now and then, like if something ugly happens, you look away. But if something truly horrifically ugly happens, you can't, you You can't look away. You can't help it. You can't help but look at what has happened. And there's probably some evolutionary reason for that. Like I've heard all, I've heard stories such as like, uh, like um, chimpanzees. If there's a snake that shows up. Like they stare at it mm-hmm. and they, they will not take their eyes off of that snake until it's out of completely gone forever. Like they will obsess over it right. until it's gone. And I, there's got to be some predator prey kind of like instinct there where it's like if like the image of soured flesh is something that like we talked about in our podcast on Zenosaga about the collective unconscious and the the idea of the snake that's burned into your collective memory because it's something to stay away from, but it's something that you have to recognize. So you've got to, you're in a way drawn towards it, but your mind also knows to stay away from it. This without your conscious mind registering anything. Well, you can think at throughout history, there's also... Like the idea, the general idea, going back a billion years, stay away from a dead corpse. Yes, it's dead. Its diseases come from dead corpses. Like, however, the ancestors of our of ours learned it, they did eventually learn. You don't touch those things. Like yeah. those things are not safe, right? Right. And even more so than the image of a snake, the image of. A corpse a dead body, a is corpse. something that has been burned into our collective psyche for a billion <laughs> freaking years. And it's like you don't, you just stay away from that stuff. Yeah. And um, I feel like there's something in that there. So when they're when they are talking about soured flesh to yeah. make to make the monsters, it's like they're tapping in to an old, ancient part of our of our psyche mm. that predates everything that we're familiar with. That is so old, and that all of us share, and that is the prim, the primal-like fear of of, of a dead, rotting corpse, and well, how and the, you you are to be fear that thing. You are not to go near. It. And in particular, a human corpse, right? And, yes, and well, of your own species. Yeah. Yes, that, is, yes, yes. This
0: yes. is something that they also talk about. Uh, that's more that what sure I mean. Is to, of yeah. your own
1: species, right? Right. Because, right. like, uh, a crocodile will go eat a rotting body. I, right. I'm referring to. Seeing your own species. Right. I, I, I was playing off that because I, I good, knew that good, that's what good. you meant. Um, okay. <laughs> Thank the, you. Uh, I'm, I'm, I guess,
0: adding to that point in that that was specifically part of what they wanted to do with the monster design in this game. They didn't mm. want to design creatures with horns and right. claws and teeth and that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, 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 w- with the prototypical sort of like horror monster. Yeah. They wanted the monsters to have elements of humanity in like them teeth?
1: specifically. yes it's crazy these monsters look like they don't just look like people they look like tortured people yes like like a human centipede yes (laughs) like like horrifically tortured humans not just like you feel sorry
0: for the things that you're battling
1: in this game right there's a cognitive dissonance i'm going to talk about that a lot probably in the next episode there's a cognitive dissonance that comes along with playing this game which is that of what i've just kind of expressed like these aren't monsters that you're like, oh, kill it. It's going to eat me. It's like this is a suffering thing and you're yes. ending its suffering. Like yes. there's, there's almost like two levels to it. It's, it's yes. really, really, really well done is what I got to say.
0: And, and because of that human element in each monster, that is sort of the psychological element to the horror that, that makes this stand out. Yeah. From something, you know, a typical monster, right? Uh, that you would see or in a, a horror demon. film, yeah. Or something, something that's a predator yeah. that's
1: preying on yes. you, which uh, is scary. Sure, it is. Sure, it is. But it's different. You have the empathy that comes yeah. with seeing your own species. I don't know. It's just crazy.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So that's a huge element that's as huge to element. why they decided to um, design the monsters this way. So um, I'll come back to that in a minute. Uh, I, I also want to mention here that the team of uh, for Silent Hill 2, they, they wanted to do something different, almost opposite with the protagonist. Um, they talked about wanting to reflect the evil um, which was inside the protagonist versus uh, having the protagonist be the one oh, sort of yeah. like opposing that evil, right? So uh, Imamura says there's more to the story, it's more complex and a deeper experience than the first one. And it's uh, mm-hmm. just more immersive and disturbing. In the first game, you're fighting an evil, but in Silent Hill 2, the character will reflect that evil. It's hard to explain without spoiling the story, but there's the hint. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. Here is that yeah. there, there really uh, there's going to be more symbolism. The reason I wanted to bring yeah. that up is symbolism.
1: Good. We're going to be Good.
0: seeing a lot about the character reflected in the world yeah. around him, and and that is. Uh, that's just, there's a lot to to yeah. dig into with that that I'm really excited to uh, talk about. Uh, so that was, a, that was a big focus uh, for, yeah. for the story of this game. Um, Somebody
1: in uh, uh, the comments section on Patreon oh, okay. uh, brought up the Uncanny Valley, right? Oh, sure. And how I feel
0: that way about the characters' faces. I think game. it was
1: Beard Most <laughs> Sexual, but talking about... Um... <laughs> Sorry, I, just... <laughs> I was wondering if you were like,
0: paying attention to that at all when you
1: said it. <laughs> I, I wasn't when I first said it. But I, I, I okay. Anyways, yeah. um talking about how they they ride the uncanny valley so yeah. perfectly. And for those of you who don't know, I think it's become a pretty common term now. Uh we were familiar with it probably ten years ago doing CG work, but sure. nowadays I think people know the term. But just so in case you don't know it, the idea of the uncanny valley is when something looks so close to the real thing, specifically relating to a human or something like that. When something looks very human but behaves in a way that is not human and that you can tell that it was attempting to be human but that didn't quite make it, but you, it's hard to put put your finger on exactly why it's not a human. Sure. But you recognize this is not my species, mm. but it is almost my species and it's creepy. Yeah, And right. it's part of the you can't look away kind of thing. They ride the Uncanny Valley in the specific um the specific way that these monsters are designed where it's like this is a person but like kind of not really though but it's a person enough to where it gives you those weird feelings of like like what am i doing like what am i fighting and it's not just like call of duty where you're shooting other people because they're the bad guy it's like the these are as i mentioned before these are these are tortured souls like it's not it's not so easy to just be like oh these are the bad guys i kill them now even though that's what you do in the game. Right. Um, but the Uncanny Valley, that concept there. Um, watch, I remember the first time I heard it, it was, um, what was that Tom Hanks Christmas movie? The, the oh, CG one? Uh, the, uh, the, Express, the... The Express, right? Um, the Polar Express? Polar Express, The Polar it. Express. That was supposed to be this perfectly lifelike, oh, you can't <laughs> tell the difference, or Final Fantasy The Spirits Within. Sure. Where it's like, oh, they look like real people, and you watch it, and you're like, yeah, but... But not really. <laughs> they also kind of look scary, yeah, right? The, the quarters, Uncanny yeah. Valley is just like the horror of something that's like almost human, but not, right? Yeah.
0: Um, okay. So I, I really thought this was interesting, um, yeah. looking at some of the influences for that, that they drew upon when, when writing the story for this. So uh, Sato says, we looked at movies like Adrian Lin's Jacob's Ladder.
1: Have you seen that?
0: I have not seen I that. I haven't either. I, I haven't either. I feel like- we, maybe should we should watch it like on. before we play the game almost <sighs> should we <laughs> or, or maybe i don't know should we do it after i don't know
1: i don't know i can but. i can do it we can do it i can't yeah. watch with my wife though.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh I, I'm, I'm kind of interested it, particularly because they mention it by I, name i heard
1: but, in my research i heard jacob's ladder come up several times and i did actually watch a trailer for it yeah wa- and and um, I don't know what's going on there, but it looks like a very creepy film. I yeah. would love to watch it, though, because I love I love uh, horror films. Yeah, for sure. But I don't um, really want to watch it alone. <laughs>
0: uh, we'll have to see uh, if we can maybe set something up for that. Maybe with it the patrons or something, it would be cool. Yeah, that would um, awesome. So, and then movies from David Lynch. Of course, David Lynch has a, a really great style yeah. mm-hmm. and flair for that kind of thing. And gets into um, some of that psychological stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, huge, in a huge way. They also bring up Hitchcock, of uh, course, yeah. Uh, David Fincher, David Cronenberg, um, hmm. but they also brought up painters like Francis Bacon. And oh, interesting. I don't know if you saw this. I would have assumed
1: Hieronymus um, Bosch or something like the horrific. Like
0: oh, know. sure, yeah. Well, Rembrandt is another one. Okay, that they bring sure. Up, so, um, uh, but Francis Bacon, huh? But. I don't know if you saw this. There's a there's like a behind the scenes DVD that came with this game.
1: Uh, is it where they interview him in like a dark alleyway with like a brick wall and their flashlights?
0: No, and like the um, okay. they're like in the Konami offices, like talking to him. Okay, and uh, and Sato see. in particular actually speaks English through the whole thing, which I thought was pretty interesting. Oh, wow! Um, but the other guys are speaking Japanese. But um, they they the okay. I see the, Francis Bacon now. Oh, geez. Yeah. So the oh my god the the monster <laughs> we should designer. Put some of these up. The guy who designed the monsters, right? Wow. Um, he talks about that being his inspiration, and he shows a bunch of paintings in the behind-the-scenes documentary little yeah. thing of of uh, Francis Bacon's work, and it's like, whoa, dude! Like, this is like not only this like, is like
1: Rembrandt Bosch though. This it's is. awesome.
0: It's a really unique style. Like, yeah. It's kinda of unlike anything I had seen before. And um so yeah, we'll we'll put some of those paintings on this on the screen. But <sighs> wow,
1: that's incredible. Yeah. Uh so Francisco talk about, talk about looking at something you can't look away from. Yeah. yeah. but <laughs> that's like right. horrific.
0: Yeah. See this this is the uh this is the link here to the making of Silent Two. Um in, that they put in the, the Oh, there here. you go, cool. So you can look that up on YouTube if you want to watch it. But awesome. there's some pretty cool stuff in there. I should. Um so then, uh, Imamura adding to this says, certainly David Lynch, uh, his style has influenced the series, uh, particularly with uh, Silent Hill Two. Twin Peaks is one of my personal favorites. Oh, there you go. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I know Parker's a big Parker's Twin Peaks a big fan. Fan.
1: I've seen it. I haven't seen the new like season, but yeah, very, yeah, very, very creepy, psychological.
0: Yeah, uh, psychological yeah. horror. Uh, Twin Peaks.
1: Yeah, movie. and just so people know what I'm talking about, they 20 years ago the show came out, but then they made season three like two years ago. <laughs> yeah so everyone's older it's like a whole different thing i yeah. don't know I, I i may watch it at some point but yeah um so i i kind of just
0: copied this whole block here um because i just thought it was interesting uh there, there's several like sort of like real life references and, and elements that inspired uh, silent hill the creation of the town itself hmm. so in the original scenario the developers designed maria and james with dual personalities Maria's other oh. personality was uh, Mary, a reference to Mary Kane, uh, Jane Kelly, oh. Jack the Ripper's last victim.
1: Oh, I think I saw this on Wikipedia. Yeah, yeah a
0: while yeah. James was Joseph, a reference to one of Jack the Ripper's suspects. So those names were chosen specifically to kind of surround the, the Jack the Ripper uh, okay, real-life reference. Right?
1: Okay, but also Mary and Joseph. Oh, Sure mother mary I guess, yeah i guess that could the, um, be the case as well bethlehem yeah. you know all that stuff um, interesting wow
0: eddie Dumbrowski, who's a character in the game his name was taken from the actor eddie murphy <laughs> oh, in really? the beginning phases of production <laughs> while eddie was originally designed with a pleasantly what? optimistic personality so his personality i guess was i don't different. know this guy yet so. um his, this is like an original scenario. So these things were changed. For oh, like the, I what, see.
1: Oh, okay.
0: But like earlier on, the, these names were chosen for these reasons, right? Uh, the name Angela, which I think is like the first girl you come across in, in the, the game, cemetery. right? Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah, I believe so. Uh, was derived from Angela Bennett, the name of the protagonist of the nineteen ninety nine or nineteen ninety five film The Net, <laughs> and yeah, remember, Laura's uh, from the nineteen seventy novel No Language But a Cry by uh, Richard d'ambrosio d'ambrosio hmm. uh, the developer satirized the perceived accessibility of firearms in the u.s i liked this by allowing james to find a handgun in a shopping cart i liked that <laughs> those darn <laughs> <Pretty> americans <laughs> clever um <laughs> uh, there's <was> also <laughs> indications that the layout of silent hill was based to a certain extent on the town of san bruno california so.
1: well that's fascinating because um There, okay, at the very beginning of the game, you see this. You're in a town called, and I put it right here, it is called, what's up with this? Toluca, T-O-L-U-C-A, and it's Toluca Lake, right? So there's a lake in the whole city, and it's called, the place is called Toluca, and it's, there is a city called Toluca in L.A., Oh, okay. But it doesn't look like this at all. Yeah. <laughs> so so they took the name of Toluca, California, and then put it onto the design of San Bruno. Is that it? I guess so. California? Yeah, maybe. Uh, but t- the word Toluca and the name, it has some... Um, Toluca... Well, th- what is it called? Pele? Give me a sec. So Tolute Peto means the hill of God. Well, mm. the hill of the God Tolo. It's one of the gods. But anyways we're going to get into some of this stuff a little bit later, but the names were chosen on purpose. I think absolutely. So Toluca is the city of Tolu and then the city of Tolu is built around a hill and then a lake. So it's all right there and it's based on like a God. So that's perfect. Mm, Okay.
0: Um, So the backgrounds I was talking about a little bit earlier were based on this concept of simultaneous repulsion and attraction, right? Mm. Um, uh, Subuyama, the art director, was saying, I wanted to create something that would really disturb the game player whilst attracting them. Something with an aura of mystery, right? Yeah, that'll do do it. And The bathroom, which is like kind of the the first... Yeah, like right where you appear in the very beginning. That was the first environment that was modeled in the whole game. And it kind of served as like a template or like a Bible for the way that the interiors of the rest of the game were designed thereafter. Mm. And Sato talks about going around and taking... Uh, a lot of stills like photos of different like you know old buildings and and abandoned places and overgrown or or rusted or you know sort of uh, just abandoned uh, old buildings and things like that and they spent a lot of time just building that first area that first environment that bathroom where he's looking in the mirror that kind of like classic shot this one yes back behind us here where he's he's looking at himself in the mirror right Um, but the uh they had a different rationale that sort of applied to the exterior visual backgrounds. Here, they wanted to give the idea or the impression that the city is way larger than you imagine, right? Um, there are certain sequences that might seem over long, like, well, this, what's going on? It's taking a really long time to like get to the next part. Mm-hmm. But the, that was done on purpose, particularly in the exteriors, to create a sense of isolation in the player no, like okay. you are like totally alone there. in this place
1: i see that with the fog too because if you can see yeah. where you're going it's like oh i'm going to this place and you just go there right and it yeah, doesn't matter right. how long it takes or maybe it does but you at least see where you're going yeah with the fog mechanic that they have here it's like you don't know when you're going to get there and that makes it feel like it takes even longer because mm-hmm. you might be almost there but you don't know that and so you're yes. just like oh my gosh how much longer is this going to go exactly right. whereas if you could see it then you wouldn't feel that anxiety
0: yeah a quote here uh, at the beginning of the game we deliberately made the descent through the forest towards the cemetery longer it's Mm. so long that you don't feel like turning back at the same time it makes you realize just how totally isolated the city is and you also yeah we knew it was a bit risky in terms of gameplay but we really wanted to take our chances and do it so that's intentional anytime you feel like wow this is a really long way to the next part Mm. It's because they're trying to show you how totally isolated not only you are in this town, but the town itself is to anything else around Mm, it. That's good. You're really far away from anything else. You're totally isolated. You're alone in this place, right? So they they were really trying to create that sense. Um, So here's a a quote from uh, Masahiro Ito, the monster designer. My basic idea in creating the monsters of Silent Hill 2 was to give them a human aspect. In the beginning, the game player would believe they were human. So he wanted yes. you to th- yeah. see it that's first what I and thought. think, oh, that's another person.
1: Yes. And it's kind of shadowy and it's mm-hmm. shaded and you can't really tell right. what's going on. Yeah,
0: Right. And then as you... Upon closer inspection, you'll, you'll find out it's a monster, right? Yes. Then I proceeded to undermine this human aspect by giving weird movements to these creatures and by using improbable like angles for their bodies yeah. uh, based on the mannerisms and movements of drunk people or mm. the tentative walk of very young children. Okay. The idea for the monster in the straitjacket, which is the, kind of that first one that the you meet one, in the game, yeah. right, uh, hit me as I watched a programmer friend of mine who works here Uh, One day he came to see me. I saw him coming from a long way off. His hands were in his pockets, close to his body, and he was wearing a sweatshirt with a hood. Uh, He also was listening to his Walkman and walking in this cool way. So that's how I got the idea for the monster. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So, you know, the silhouette of his buddy in a jacket, you know, with his hands in his pocket, hood on, kind of Mm -hmm. walking toward him. He sees that just shape approaching him. He's like, ooh, that's a monster design I could make, you know straight jacket kind of look or or, or silhouette, I guess, for this monster. So I thought that was kind of funny. That's cool. Uh, Got another quote here from Imamura. One example is this character who basically looks human. You see this character and you perceive a human being and you might let your guard down. But when you come closer, you might notice something else, something not quite right with that person. The player has to make this judgment, but that person is far from human and very dangerous. You might be surprised or feel pity destroying it. Yes. I tried to give enemies an element of humanity.
1: Yes, and yeah. especially because when you when you kill enemies in this game, it's not just like you're killing them and then they fall down and they're dead. When they fall down, you have to keep, keep hitting, hitting them, them while they're down. And yeah. you're just like beating this thing that's down. <laughs> I have a whole section on exactly how this goes, and I feel like it's it's really, really well done but like you don't know when it dies except based on some audio feedback that I'll go into next episode. Yeah. And then like that's how you know it it died. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. You, it not based on it falling, it doesn't disappear. The bodies stay there right. when you come back later on and there's like blood and stuff and it's like I don't know. That first one really got to me because it was like that it didn't really attack me.
0: No. It doesn't. I just kind of. You just kind of ran up and
1: hit it. Yeah, I just kind of killed it. And I was like, D-, but I didn't feel right doing it. And then I look back on it and I'm like, that wasn't like, <laughs> <laughs> what kind of game is this? It reminds me of Nier a little bit. Like, what's going yeah. on? This is so dumb. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. But like, not in a bad way. I'm just yeah. saying, like, it makes you It feel messes conflicted. with my mind. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, so it, it's impossible to talk about this game without mentioning probably its most iconic character. Which is the pyramid, the pyramid head yeah, enemy, yeah. and and the the inspiration behind that design. Hmm. Um, so uh, this is the same uh, monster designer speaking here, uh, Ito. The triangle has right angles and acute edges. Yeah. Their sharpness suggests the possibility of pain.
1: Mm-hmm. I love sure. that line. Sure. I thought wow. that that was really yeah, like kind good. of
0: profound, right? That's good. Like just the the sharp edges of the of the and the cute sort of angles of the triangle suggest the possibility of pain. And the triangle shape also helps explain the monster's role in the game, which we'll talk more about later. Um, Hmm. uh, Okay, so got a quote here from Akira Yamaoka, who is the uh, sound director and the composer for the game. He had some really interesting thoughts that I really liked. He said, movies didn't inspire my work for the creation of Silent Hill 2's music. That's just my style. He's saying the style of the music in game is kind of just his own. For the main theme, I sat down at my place and took three days to compose it. I didn't think that melody, or I, I liked this line. I don't think that melody is the most important thing in a piece of music. However, for this theme, I based my music on a sad melody with a strong beat. Above all, I want to make sure that people feel something listening to my music. So this is something I've touched on a little bit like a long time ago, back before the podcast kind of became this uh, storytelling analysis thing, back oh, yeah. when we used to just pick topics and things like that. Yeah. Um, particularly, we talk a lot about JRPGs, and JRPGs typically have soundtracks that are uh, very strongly driven by recognizable, um, catchy melodies. Yeah. And I feel like there's a lot of people who are fans of, of JRPGs and anime who really feel like music that doesn't contain strong Um, melody um is is inferior in some way to to soundtracks that do have that
1: especially like from the 90s like the 90s soundtracks were almost always melodic it was very difficult to do anything unless it was you know had a very strong melody
0: well yeah in a lot of ways because of uh the limits of what they could do with pixel art animation Mm -hmm. the music suggested the emotions that's right yeah right? right um and uh, so, anyways, it, it just kind of was traditionally written that way. But it's always been my feeling that um, melody is not the important part. The important part is what, what are they supposed to feel in mm. the scene? Like that the right. music is written um, to supplement the storytelling, not to sort of supersede it or, or to make the, the, the player or the viewer go, uh, like, come out of it to go, wow, that song's awesome. Yes, yeah. yeah <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, like,
1: that, that breaks the immersion a little bit. Yeah, that, that's yeah. Why I
0: think the last thing you would want to happen is for your viewer to start thinking about the music of the scene instead <laughs> yeah. of about the characters yeah. and the emotion and the, the, the events that are happening. And, and rather you want them to be drawn into that and the music is meant to supplement that, right? So I've always felt like um, ambient soundtracks, uh, if they're accomplishing that, are just as strong even if it might not be something that you want to sit in your car and and like listen to as you're commuting or something right, even mm-hmm. if it, if you're not going to do that, it's still just as strong and effective as long as it's communicating the right emotion. Yes, and yeah, yeah. I feel like particularly in horror, you see this a lot more. like there's not like a lot of melodic horror soundtracks, right? I guess there are themes for certain like characters. Uh, and you know like the, the Halloween theme uh, For the Halloween films you know, Oh yeah it, 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 It's not like <laughs> it's not yeah. there It's just that like Typically you, you have a lot of um, Pads and like Creepy sounds and things that go into A yeah. soundtrack for, for a horror film It's more It seems to be more accepted As uh, Ambient music seems to be more accepted In this genre than in it horror. is in others Yeah um, But the the Silent Hill, two soundtrack is really interesting. It's it's a really interesting, really unique soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what you've thought about it so far, but
1: well, I don't because we've only played a little bit. Know <laughs> that I paid much attention to it. I, I don't think I have. <laughs> much that to might say be a good it.
0: thing. It maybe that it you that seems you haven't. Fine.
1: I, I noticed the guitar and there's some good um there's some good melodic stuff going on, but I don't really I don't really notice it much.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm sure we'll have more to say about it like as, as we play a little further into it, but yeah. I, I really liked that quote. I, it's just something I feel like I really align with personally when it comes to soundtracks. But um, He goes on to say, I think that the sounds in Resident Evil are pretty formal. I would say that we're used to hearing them, whereas for Silent Hill 2, I really tried to create something that would surprise you, something that would challenge your imagination, as if the sounds were going under your skin. What I mean by that is to create a physical reaction for the game player, such as a feeling of apprehension and unease. The job of a sound designer is not just to create sounds, so to speak. We also have to know how to use silence. This is a huge thing for me. Um, I think that selecting moments of silence is another way of producing sound. Um, This is something I, I talked about a lot in the behind the scenes of our StarCart uh oh, youtube Wars, video vi- that we yeah. did back when we were dark pixel watch it um, people if you haven't seen it uh go j- check out the pixel uh, dark pixel channel is where that's kind of like where we started really yeah. on youtube was with that channel it was, uh, kind of a filmmaking visual effects driven sort of yeah. channel that we did but um one of the the last videos we did there was star card it was an entirely cgi uh little thing where we put Mario characters inside of Star Wars ships, but they're racing yeah. like in yeah. Mario Kart, right?
1: Yeah, it was fun. Um,
0: but uh, for the sound design, because um, I did I did a lot of the sound design for a lot of those videos, and and this is true not even just of sound design, but of but of everything when it comes to storytelling. Um, you want to have really sharp contrast because if you if you kind of rev up, say, the energy or uh, let, let's just call it energy of a scene, whether it's in the emotion of the writing whether it's in uh really anything visually uh if if it's up here all the time loud and strong and high energy yeah. um there will be an acclamation that happens with the audience where they'll kind of lose the impact of that high energy if you stay there too this, long
1: yeah.
0: right you ne- what you yeah. need to do is is weave out of that and bring them back down yeah. To a quiet place so that when you go back up again, the impact of the high energy hits again will hit again. That's um, called dynamics. <laughs> yeah, dynamics, exactly. Yeah. Um, you need to have a wide dynamic range. Yes. Um, this applies to everything. It applies to uh, color theory. It applies to... Uh, the music, it applies to the to sound, it applies and to pacing. the story itself, the pacing yeah, of Yeah, when the people story. talk about
1: pacing in a story, they're talking about those hits. You, you, your story's not well-paced if those hits are all happening quickly, yes. followed by a super long low. Right. It's like, no, it, you. the pacing means that they're hitting in regular intervals. They don't have to be perfectly predictable, but they do have to be regular enough, and then you have to allow them to cool off a little bit. Right. You can't just keep that high forever.
0: Right. And so I, I feel like that's kind of what he's referring to here about knowing when to use silence. And so like in the in the video, right, we had, I, I was kind of creating the, the sound for these. Of course, I was using Star Wars sounds and combining them with some of my own audio libraries yeah. to get a sound of these engines and making them feel very yeah. big and powerful. And uh, so we had a lot of shots where they would sort of zoom into to hyperspace, right? Yeah, but but we pop- would linger. Just long enough that's right, yeah. in the environment to hear silence in the environment before we skipped back to where the that's ships right, were and brought right, the, the brought the the yeah. loud engines back in again, so that you would feel how strong and powerful they were. That's cool. That's Without cool, yeah. doing that, if we had gone the whole video with just <laughs> being the entire like you know yes. like you, you have your your timeline with your your audio. On the bottom and your your video on top and you can just see the waveforms just maxing out the the headroom the whole way through (laughs) right it's very easy to do that in chase sequences oh for sure um, where there's gunshots and cars squealing and turning and and people fighting and you know explosions it's really easy for your waveform to just be maxed out all all the the way through the scene I think it's really important in order for each one of those particularly ones that are meant to have impact like a character getting hit or something like that that we care about, that we remove, we come back down the sharp contrast curve yeah. down here, and then bring it back in Let again. Let people
1: experience the yeah. the ambience. You know the the low level That's exactly. Good. And so, you know, it's funny that actually happens on a micro and a macro level as well. Oh, like, totally. You can take it down to the to the to the second level and be like, you know, that you can't just have blare this loud sound all the time. You gotta kind of bring it down. Just like every note, if you're playing staccato or something, it's like yeah. a, an arpeggio. Even when you're playing really quickly, it's like that silence is important yes. between notes. The, but you, then- To get that attack out of it, yeah, you have to have exactly nothing and then the attack and then nothing and then the attack. And, and sometimes you'll have a sustain for a while, but it's right. usually accompanied by a drop. But all, then also you have it at the the level of, you know, the different elements of the song within the song itself. You even have it for whole genres and even whole decades, right? Yeah. I remember as soon as you started talking about this, it made me think of the band Steelheart. So Steelheart is the the culmination of 1980s hair metal, right? The, 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 the whatever you'd call it, just the yeah. 1980s metal groups. And they culminated, in my opinion, in Steelheart. Steelheart came in the 90s, mm-hmm. right? And this is around the time Nirvana showed up as well. Right. And you had, I feel like the whole decade of the 80s, you just had that peak. You were just yeah. hitting the peak over all, and over and over. All the time. Everything was just like boom, 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 boom. And Steelheart, it was like, um, I love their music. They're all really talented musicians, but it's like watching a fireworks show and just having the whole show be the grand finale without, right. and it's just grand finale, and then right. it's over. And it's like, oh well, yeah, your heart's beating, like you're, you know. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like. I can't take much of this. Yeah, it's too much, <laughs> and that's why hair metal and that heavy metal, that you know, that Van Halen, the Steelheart, the Motley Crew, it just it kind of it just kind of died off right. into this more chill, this more grunge, this different yeah. kind of music, Movement. and you know, it, it warped into something else. And anyways, you can see it almost in the way that music, even over the course of decades, how you have to have that cooling off period. Yep. And it, it, when things are true at multiple levels of analysis, you know that it's just a principle. A, this is just a true fact of yeah, life that you're dealing just with. An
0: overarching, universal yes. sort of principle.
1: People can only deal with the peak with with go get it. You know, go hard, go strong. They can only do that for so for so long.
0: Yeah, and so particularly when it comes to sound design and horror, as he's saying here, um, you really need to know how to use silence. And so that was a big, uh, big part of, of focus. For, for him when producing the sound for the game nice um, let's see we kind of come back to the producer here uh, Imamura in Silent Hill 2 fear could be defined in terms of what you don't see that makes yes. you feel afraid no, Right. no that's true though the unseen
1: mm-hmm. is, is that's almost the definition of fear it's yeah. just not knowing not knowing like you fear death because you don't know what happens when you die right that's why don't you're afraid of it. Gonna yeah, I don't,
0: know. don't know how it's going to feel to not exist. Don't know how it's <laughs> going yeah. to, like, what is that going to be like? And uh,
1: as much as someone can answer those questions, they're not really answering the whole no. question. It's right. You still don't know. And yeah. the fact that you don't know, it's just like entering a room that's pitch black. It's like, what's in that room? Whatever your mind can freaking conjure up. That's what's in that room. And mm-hmm. it's it's freaking scary. Yeah. <laughs> right. You find a freaking light switch before your mind imagines that a velociraptor is going to eat your head and you just run away screaming.
0: Well, and think of it this way too there's no way that i could conjure as hard as i tried as many questions as i asked yeah. the scariest thing to you you're right only you can oh, create dude. that yes. in your own mind so i think um, what yeah, a lot yeah. of really great horror directors will do is they'll they'll leave the reveal for the monster as long as possible yeah, because that's, that's he, smart because when the audience yeah. can imagine the worst possible thing <sighs> yeah it's going to be yeah. scary for everyone because they're all imagining something slightly different that to them is the scariest thing. Yes, it's called projection. Yes, right, projection. And
1: that's what the genius of this game in using the fog. Yes. Where you can't see more than 10, 15 feet in front of the character is mm-hmm. so genius because yep. when you know that things are there but you can't see what is there your mind fills in the freaking gaps yep it's the reason why when old ancient people a thousand years ago they draw a map and they draw their little circle of where they lived and then they'd freaking draw monsters on the edge <laughs> of the map and they'd be like this is where the monsters are okay and it's so funny because it's easy to laugh at but we still do it today sure i love it because now it's like oh we know all about earth and then it's like yeah well what's in space and we're yeah. like what is in space and watch freaking space <laughs> movies. It's monsters. It's like crazy yep. aliens with 12 heads. And like they're just trying to kill everything. Yep. Like the, the, what the mind conjures up in the unknown, which for us at this present moment is outer space is no different from what the ancients conjured up in the ocean or elsewhere yep. around them. It's like, it's freaking full of monsters. Okay. Yep. Anything you don't know about is full of monsters. <laughs> it's like a fact of life. It's just yeah. how the world works. It's crazy.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's important. Uh, The subtlety, I guess, is is a key element of psychological horror that I really like because a lot of it is left up to the interpretation of the viewer and they're always going to think of the scariest possible thing to them. Yeah. Well, especially
1: if it's like when when he uses a real life inspiration, like a man in a straitjacket. Sure. It's like, I've seen people in jackets Mm -hmm. before, so I'm projecting my memory of what I've seen onto this person, you know, and I'm supposed to kill the person. It's like, geez, man, it's almost not fair.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, let's see here. So immemorial goes on to say in Silent Hill two, uh, oh wait, I already read that one. He goes on to say, we use the fog and the darkness mm-hmm. to create a situation there where you, you don't know what is out there. The yep. fear is of something abstract. It's there, but you don't know what it is. Exactly. So you were, you were hitting the nail on the head with that. Oh, that's great. Uh, he goes on to say, I'm aiming to create fear, which gets deep into human instinct, mm. not making the fear by surprise but by creating in a feeling of anxiety. I would like this, uh, to surge the fear little by little in the player. So this is another thing I like about it too, is like horror is a really popular genre for indie devs. Oh, For yes. whatever reason. And, and for indie and, filmmakers too. In and films too,
1: yes. Like Paranormal Activity was done on the budget of like twenty grand. or yeah, something.
0: Yeah, it doesn't cost a lot of money. It's very low cost. They're yeah. usually contemporary settings, so you don't have to have elaborate costumes. Uh, so they're cheap to make, yeah. but I oh, think
1: Blair Witch Project, Blair Witch <laughs> that Project, was the big one. Yeah, was exactly. That's
0: exactly right. <laughs> so they're cheap in terms of like the cost of producing, but at the same time, I feel like they can feel cheap because a lot of times they're just trying to hit you with a big surprise. It's not so much scary, yeah. other than it just is a shocking moment that for a fleeting instant. You know, raises your heart level and it sinks back in. You go, ugh, like they got yeah, me, yeah. I guess. Or, or it, you know. <laughs> but what's really yeah. great about this subgenre is a, a layer upon layer building up this just general anxiety and unease and uncomfortable feeling that you can't shake and that just it gives you chills deep into the bone Mm -hmm. it's not relying on the jump scare to get you it's it's going to continually increase a different i think more effective fear instinct that just like keeps rising up to a climax that kind of works around the storytelling and to me is much more artful, much more difficult to achieve. And so uh that's that's something that they were very cognitive of when they were making this. And it's something that I think makes Silent Hill 2 very special. Um you're not gonna get those moments where, you know, you're walking through and, and, and you hear like the rise and it's just building up to, and it's just going to, you're going to see someone show up in the mirror or scare you. <laughs> That's not what it's going after. Yeah. It's going after something deeply psychological and instinctual. It's and, like
1: something that will disturb you long after the game is yes, over. And it's not right. just because it made you jump once. Yes. It's because like you're thinking about it and it's like, it's wedged, it's like a worm that wedges itself <laughs> deep into your brain. Deeper and it's like, and deeper. Yeah, it's there, you know?
0: Yeah. So Sato has a quote here where he says that, um, uh, actually, I don't want to, I'm not sure I don't want to miss something. Oh, yeah. So he says, uh, psychological horror has to shake humans' hearts deeply. Shaking people's hearts deeply means uncovering their core emotion and their core motivation for life. Everybody in th- uh, is thinking and concerned about sex and death every day. And if I want to scare or shake or touch the users or spectators, then we have to think deeply about those things, right? Mm, yeah. So yeah. we have to think about what motivates people. We have to think about, uh, this, This again, digs in the psychology of it, the psychology of people. I was going to say, right?
1: yeah, this is something that we did touch on a little bit at the very last episode of our Zenosaga podcast. Um, <clears throat> but the idea that like, well, this is Freud. It, the, this is, a lot of this game is going to be Freudian. Yeah. And um, the idea of death anxiety, which as... Um, Keith, in our final episode of Zenosaga, he brought up um, Ernst Becker's work um, and the the fear of death and and how like that drives humans in everything mm. they do. It's like the fear of death, almost like the fear of missing out, right? Sure. It's, yeah. And and the idea that fearing missing out is that you don't know, you don't know the future, you don't know what you're going to miss out on. Like it's it's still part of this unknowing thing, but a lot of it does stem from from the death anxiety, and then the death anxiety leads you to try to live as much as you can while you are alive, <laughs> yeah. which leads to uh, whatever maximizes your pleasure the most, that ends up being like the purpose of life, you know? And mm-hmm. so you, so when you talk about that, that's true. You're always thinking about dying, but you're also always thinking about reproducing and you're always thinking about eating. And like, the, that's like, that's, that, is, that is life in a nutshell in, in terms of like Freudian psychoanalysis. Right.
0: Um, I'm gonna skip a little bit of this next quote uh, to avoid some spoilers. But I just wanted to point out that kind of like, you know, uh, the intro little demo that's kind of plays in the game, like before you start the game up, oh, it, it has it. that little scene, oh, yeah. this scene that's on the sides here, right?
1: Yes, yes. And you yeah. hear her talking and I can't remember what she says though.
0: Yeah. So this scene where James, the main character, is speaking yeah. to the woman behind the bars there, right, that we see there, yeah. um, he says, when we wrote the story of Silent Hill 2, we immediately imagined this scene. Mm. So, this scene is really important to sort of the, the core thematic concept of the game. Okay. I so, didn't take
1: notes because I didn't know what they were talking about. <laughs> right. I was like, I'm assuming this is going to come later, and then I just kind of skipped yeah. it. Yeah.
0: So, pay attention okay. to what they're saying in that little demo sequence as you're and just keep it in mind for later. But okay. just, just know that this scene is really, really important uh, in the game, and that it was one of the very first things they thought of when they were writing the story nice um there's another great quote here from francis bacon actually oh great! <laughs> uh, not only is he a great artist but uh, this uh, a wordsmith as well there's no excellent beauty that hath not some strangeness in the proportion
1: oh sure no that makes sense yeah no, that, that that one of the most beautiful lines i love this so much and this is actually from inception i just i love it when leonardo DiCaprio. Is looking at the woman that he's been like living with for like three, 30 years or whatever. And I don't know how exactly how long it had been, but he was in the dream world and he was yeah, stuck for a long and time. it was his ex his his um, deceased wife who he was with. And he was telling her and he was just saying like, you're not, you're not her. You're not good enough. And mm-hmm. he says, The words he specifically says, he says, you're all of your perfection and your imperfection. Yeah, it's just not you, right?" Yeah. And to desire imperfection from somebody, to be like, you know, you you resemble this in a certain way, but the imperfection is where like this is to be found, right? Like you're not getting it right because of the imperfections, right? right because it's one she thing to hit the right notes, but it's was, another thing to miss
0: the right notes. Yeah, she the the image in the movie is his dream or memory of her yeah and he could not possibly he capture her all yeah. of the perfections and imperfections it's crazy yeah
1: but it's so funny because when you look at it that way instead of being like oh you know she's perfect you're trying to capture the perfection of of the woman and all of this stuff but it's like no he he was also trying to capture the imperfection and um there's something deep about that there's something really cool about the idea of like like who you are in your imperfection being like a vital part to who you are. Yeah. And not just like this this quest to always be perfect, but to like, you know, I don't know, just to, to leave things to leave some things be. I don't know exactly. Sure. You gotta decide which parts of yourself you wanna leave yeah. be or not. But the idea of of the imperfection of somebody like contributing to who they are in, in a in a meaningful way like this. I don't know. It's just crazy. Yeah. I can't even like talk about it right.
0: So having said that, I wanna read the quote again. <laughs> There is no
1: excellent beauty that hath not some strangeness in the proportion. It's like it has to. And in some ways, if something is too beautiful, is too perfect, you hit that uncanny valley. Yeah, sure. And so it's like you need imperfection, but it needs to be in the right dose, right? It needs to be the perfect amount of imperfection, which is one of the ways. I've heard one of the things that artificial intelligence is doing is that it's far surpassed human intelligence in certain ways, not in every way of course, yeah. but in certain ways AI is just so much smarter than humans right. that one of the ways that they try to convince people that an AI is a person when they try to talk in real life is they make the AI dumber. <laughs> like they, they purposefully <laughs> will like create blocks and patches in the AI's capabilities. That would then make, and people like, oh, Accounting the, for and, and people error, tend yeah. to respond more positively. Like, oh, I feel like that was a real person, but it's because they had to insert these imperfections into sure. the AI that then could resonate with people and made people think they were talking to a real person. Well, wasn't it, um,
0: Metal Gear Solid, when we were talking about Metal Gear Solid, we we're talking about asymmetry in nature, right? Yeah, um, yeah the the importance of asymmetry like that there's not perfect symmetry exactly and things
1: that become too symmetrical too perfectly symmetrical um pass away they die off they leave they're sure. gone sure yeah but you need some symmetry you need some perfection but when it becomes too rigid and too perfect that species just disappears from the fossil record rig. right <laughs> it's like you're in pursuit of a thing, but the, the goal isn't just the thing, right? Like if you can imagine that there's some like invisible hand controlling evolution, like its goal wouldn't be to make the perfect butterfly. And as soon as the butterfly figures out the perfect way to be perfect, it like dies, but that's (laughs) not okay. Yeah. You're, you're not going to move anymore. You're not going to change anymore. You figured it out, but it's not what I'm going for. So you're gone. Mm -hmm. It's funny.
0: Another quote here from Sato. I made it so that the look of the town touches audiences at a deeper level. So it might be connected to my nostalgic memories, but I am not really sure. I tried to depict a town that is desolated, filled with sorrow. Yet you can't stop loving it. <laughs> Here is a backstory <laughs> of the town. Um, that's great. I filled many logical holes we had in with Silent Hill One. So I won't get into the logical background holes. of the town just in case you know okay. that's sort of revealed in the in the story itself. But just know that they they did a lot more, sort of like. They, they reveal more about like what Silent Hill as a town kind of was in its past, right? Yeah. Versus the first game where it was just a creepy town. Um, goes on to say, I do not think humans would feel fear by seeing a monster with fangs, horns, and such typical scary visual language. Right. I think there are two main factors that evoke fear. First, to see something beyond their understanding. Second, yep. to see uh, the, uh, concealed within it their true self.
1: Oh, yes. They put, put hold up a mirror. Yes. They hold up a mirror. The very first moment of this game is that guy looking into a mirror. Yes. First of all. The very first the shot. The very first thing you see is he's looking at himself, and his eyes are dark. The cinematography is beautiful. The yep. lighting is so good because you cannot see his eyes. Yep. He's looking into his own eyes. He's looking at himself, but he's looking into a shadow. Yes. Love it. Yes. <laughs> Freaking love it. Yes. Um, so, so good. Right but also when you can reflect who somebody, when you can reflect somebody's own psyche, use their own psyche against themselves. Yes. In a form of artwork like this, like, oh my gosh, it's almost unfair. But when it's done well, um, I, it's, it's I way to do things.
0: I as a child, I grew up with a, a, a movie called The NeverEnding Story. It was like, oh yeah, yeah. It was my love favorite it. movie for a Loved long, it. long time. And there's a sequence in that movie of, of trials that Atreyu has to go through Yeah, that's um, right. that results ultimately in a, a part where he has to look himself in the mirror. Uh, and that this yes. is the point where, uh, I think the other character who's telling him about it, men would turn away screaming in yeah. terror, right? They had to face themselves. Mm. And I remember not having, I, I remember as a kid feeling like, no, that's I'm getting not it. scary. I know. There's me nothing too. scary about that. Me too, man, Why me is too. that
1: scary? I don't get it. <laughs> it's like more <laughs> profound than you could possibly imagine.
0: And now, <clears throat> particularly with this being like the opening imagery of the most revered horror game ever made. Yes, yeah,
1: yeah. As, as
0: a man looking at himself in the mirror. Yes. There's something a lot deeper to that and and something that I think we'll have a lot to talk about uh, <laughs> as we go through this. Uh, I'll, I'll save it for later analysis, but well, that's good. I'm certainly a lot more aware of what makes looking in the mirror scary now than I was as a child. Yeah, you drink. just
1: gotta live and eventually everyone <laughs> figures it out. Everyone realizes there's the monster within themselves. Yeah. And as much as they don't want to admit it. Um, so,
0: I don't want to say this part yet. I'm gonna to wait to, to okay. do this until later in the game. But there, I, I mentioned this briefly in the very last episode of Xenosaga that there's an Eros, uh, Thanatos sort of yeah. um, motif here. Yes. And I'm just gonna leave it at that for now because I don't okay. want to spoil the game, but uh, that will be an important aspect to some of the characters. Um, okay, so this is touching a little bit on gameplay. Um, we, we, we talked about this briefly at the beginning. It can be feel a little clunky, particularly yeah, camera, yeah, it does. things like that. Imamura says, if we were to make the camera angles as per request from the creators, the gameplay would be difficult. And and we talked about this a lot in our like Final Fantasy VIII podcast. Oh yes. Where that's we right. love pre-rendered love backgrounds them. and, and fixed only camera one angles,
1: right? Drawback, yeah. The yeah. drawback is the the freaking <laughs> you enter a scene on one side and you come out on another side and you're holding your stick in one direction and now your character is <laughs> going the wrong way. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't know because you, you almost can't have both yeah. unless you utilize some type of like a like a tank control system, but that's yeah. really difficult. Um, and that's what
0: Resident Evil did yes. Resident Evil was fixed camera angles really yeah. really beautiful backgrounds very artistically chosen really um, you know added to the atmosphere the horror and the tone but moving that guy around is it's hard to it's do at hard. first it's hard to like it get is. used to it right Yeah. and they were kind of fighting with the same thing here like what's the balance between creating being able to control exactly what we want our players to look at Yes. Because that helps us tell our story better. As artists, yeah. Versus the ease of moving through this environment and mm-hmm. playing the game. <laughs>
1: well, in some ways, the difficulty of playing the game, I know this is, some people bring this up for other games and say, well, this, it's part of the game. And I, it's a questionable like, reaction, at least for me, I don't know, <laughs> but you can make an argument that the clunkiness of the controls does contribute to- The scariness the of it. The scariness of the game. Sure. And just the overall- theme well feeling i guess the feeling of the game it's in part it's not just that scary things are happening and that everything's creepy but also like you don't know when the camera's gonna change you don't know (laughs) when um you know you're gonna enter a new place and have to kind of reorient yourself
0: yeah And at the same time, say with tank controls, it's like you don't know if you're gonna be able to get turned around (laughs) and go the way you wanna go before the monster gets to you, right? It's like, oh, it's right on me, turn around, go, go! (laughs) Right? Like that certainly adds to it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So he says, uh, on the other hand, if we were to prioritize the gameplay, the camera angles would not look good. We had to struggle a lot to maintain the balance between these two points. If we wanted to make the game image closer to that of movies, we must keep in mind that a game picture is the picture that is being seen through the camera. Silent Hill 2 incorporates many picture effects, which happen just because uh, you're seeing it through a camera. Uh, They do have like a a film grain sort of like filter on everything. And the the, um,
1: color correction, it's very desaturated. Everything looks very almost grayscale. And that's what makes those red squares stand out like crazy.
0: Yep. We would like to incorporate this technique uh, more in future titles. So... That yeah. kind of brings me to the end of uh, the research that I did. Were there any notes that we skipped over? Just a for you? couple.
1: So I've got just the way that the, you choose your difficulty level. There's the, ah, the right. action level, easy, normal, hard. But then there's like the riddle level, yeah. e- easy, normal, yep. hard. Yep. Right. So right. you choose the puzzle and the how hard's the fighting going to be? But then how hard's the, the puzzle, puzzle. going to be? Yep. And apparently that affects some other ways that um, of things that happen in the game. But I don't know anything about that. And then I just have a few quotes. I don't even know who said them really. Okay. In the town of Silent Hill, a power exists that gives discernible form to people's innermost thoughts. Mm. In the same way that a person normally repeats REM sleep and non-REM sleep in regular cycles while he or she is sleeping, when the nightmare world approaches a deeper darkness, which is sleep, a phenomenon occurs in which light is almost completely taken away and the world shifts into an even deeper nightmare as the sh- cycle shifts again. Anyways. Nice. That's... um. Don't know what's up with that, but it's psychological <laughs> horror, man. That's what we're dealing with. That's what we're dealing with. And then the loading screen is just like footprints. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what exactly. I thought I had an idea, and now I'm thinking they're just kind of random. <laughs> but yeah, right. Anyways, that, those are my notes. So I got to go to a train. You
0: guys. Mine too. We got uh, to get Casey in the train station. Um, I will be out of town all next week in Thailand for work. It's my first time leaving the country. It's gonna Very be nice. freaking cool, Enjoy. but I, I'm going to try, if I can, to call in and try to do an episode remotely. That would be fun. You man. can record on your end.
1: I could. Um, if you're at like Angkor Wat and that's your background. Oh, the, wait, <laughs> that might be Cambodia though. I don't know. <laughs> uh, if it's t- I can't remember where some place with a really cool background, some sick backdrop, find something do awesome. it, man. That would be yeah. awesome.
0: So uh, we'll we'll try to do that. We have recorded a couple episodes just so that uh, we'll have them. In reserve to be able to upload yeah. whether or not we record next week, but we're going to try to do that. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna get the game on my Steam Deck. I'm gonna play it like on the 24 hour freaking flight. <laughs> that I'm gonna be on because <laughs> we're going to Seattle, then from Seattle to South Korea, then from South Korea to, Korea, to, nice. to Thailand. So that's awesome. There can be layovers and everything. So I'm lead some Silent Hill to play on the trip. So that's the plan. Well, and so hopefully luck. we'll be able to talk about it uh, while I'm out there. So um, appreciate you guys watching. Hopefully you're looking forward to this series. Um, I'm really excited to talk about it. And uh, we'll see you next time for the first episode where we actually get the game started.
1: Peace out. Peace.